0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. All right, if you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. If not, there's definitely one right in front of you. Um, To open up and look with us at um, the book of 1 John the book of First John. So let me pray, and, and then we're going to dive right in today. Father, we thank you again once more for the wonderful praise singing your word to you. Father, we thank you for that time and these wonderful musicians and just, just the time to to praise you for all that you do for us, all that you have done for us, all that you have promised us. And Father, it's just a sweet time to to rejoice in, in the love and the mercy and the grace that you have lavished upon us. Fathers, we look today as we begin this book. It is your holy scripture. That's one of the reasons why we should study 1 John because it's Inspired by you. That you wrote this for us. That you're writing to us in many ways. And Father, we just ask that we can take time to focus in, ask the Holy Spirit to teach us, to counsel us, to search our hearts for ways that we may be grieving or quenching the Spirit right now that would prevent that from happening. But Lord, we just ask for your Spirit to work today amongst us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, uh, I was trying to figure out some different ways uh, to have you guys interact uh, before we begin this book, and, and it actually went really, really well. Um, at the last time that I looked at it, which was this morning, there could have been some other people pop in, but we put out a poll question and 31 people responded. Um, and Marty has the results of that poll and, and the question, there it is, should Christians pursue their own happiness? Now I knew that this was a yes or no question, but I knew I had to have some space for people to, okay, I'm going to have to explain my answer because you might say no and have an explanation, and you might say yes. Um, and have an explanation, right? Because it it is kind of a, you know, it's like, well, how are we taking some of these words? What does happiness mean and our own? Like, do you really, you know, hammer in on our own? And it was quite interesting to to see all the different responses. And um, as as I was discerning from what those who chose to clarify, um, that happiness can be very ambiguous. That's kind of what I learned from your responses, it can be very ambiguous, you know. And and the other thing I learned was you much prefer, almost to every person that, that responded, you much re- prefer the word joy. Which is great to know that, that if you're thinking about 31 people that responded, and not all 31 wrote something down, but, but those probably 15 of you that, were, that wrote something down, that, that you're already thinking that, okay, wait a minute, Christianity, happiness, oh, maybe not so much, but joy? Okay, let's talk about joy, which is Really used a lot in the Bible, and, and that's that's wonderful. That was like rejoicing to, to to see that. And this joy or happiness, this is a, the third thing that I kind of learned was it must be tied to Christ. So some of you is like, oh yeah, yeah. We we in in fact, it didn't really show me whether you answered the question yes or no. It just showed me the responses. It, it might be on there, but I didn't see it. So I'm just reading the the responses as. You guys put them in there. And the reason why that I wanted to, to put that out to interact, I even in the email, I know we had a glitch in the first thing, my bad, um, something new. It, it's technology. It usually goes wrong the first time, but now I've learned how, how to do so um, without the glitch. But I, I just wanted you to maybe, you know, as I encouraged you in the email to read First John <clears throat> and then begin to think through Okay, why is Joe even asking this question as we're beginning this study in the book of 1 John? And if you read through the first four verses, you probably would have found why I might be asking about joy, right? So as we turn to the study of 1 John, what prompted my question is that one of the reasons among several that John is writing this, now it's not really set up as a letter, it's not really a doctrinal treatise. It's, um, you know, most of them think that maybe this is a, a sermon-type um, literature, but uh, so it, it's, it's kind of a, a mixture of different things. Um, but we definitely believe, I believe, uh, from everything that I read, that John, right, the Apostle John, the, the one that wrote Revelation, the one that wrote the book of John, the one that leaned against Jesus' chest, that John is the one that wrote this John. So we, we could be pretty confident in that, so one of the reasons that he wrote this, we find in first four of the first chapter, and he says, "And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete." And you might first all, whenever you read that, you might be first kind of look at it and say, "Our joy," and 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 might think be thinking. That's kind of like, okay, he wants his joy to be complete. But whenever you, you look at the way that the, the words used in, in the Greek language, when, when John writes our joy, and then I think some of your Bibles might even say your joy. They've already kind of turned it over so that to the, to the reader, your joy may be complete. John is talking about himself. He's talking about the apostles. He's talking about all Christians. So, one of the reasons why he is writing 1 John is so that our joy may be complete, all of us. Our joy may be complete. What John is saying is when we read 1 John, it should produce joy in the life of the saint. It should produce joy in the life of the saint. Now, the second reason why he wrote the book of 1 John, he gives us in chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So, he's first of all all, he's, he's talking about joy, now he's talking about so you don't sin. So, my mind would think that there's probably some kind of correlation to that. And if you remember how we started our time together. Last week we read the, the first part of the first Psalms and the first part of Psalms 119 where it was talking about if we order our lives the way of Scripture, then we are happy. We have joy. And John is backing this same idea up. So the second reason why John is writing is to help us not to sin. He is writing to, to set a standard of living, and that standard is sinlessness. Now, we don't reach, achieve it. None of us can achieve it here on this side of glory, but one day, one day, whenever Jesus comes back and we get our new bodies and we don't have to deal with the flesh, one day we will live without sin, without the temptation, without the guilt, without the fear, without the shame. What a glorious day that will be. But he also says in that same verse, if we keep reading that verse, he says, if we do sin, we have an advocate, which we will come back to later when we get to chapter 2. And that advocate, obviously, is Jesus Christ. He is advocating for us right now at the side of the Father. As we live our lives, as we stumble, as we do things, He is right there praying for us. He is advocating for us. As, as I often say, and just this picture that got etched in my mind when I read it for the first time, it's like Jesus is in heaven right now, hitting the justification bell button on Joe's life each time He just keeps hitting it. He's Joe, you're justified. Joe, you're justified. He's, he's doing this on behalf of Joe and every one of us that are in Christ before the Father. That's what he's doing. That's what it means to be an advocate. So John is writing so that we may have a quality of joy, so that we may have a quality of holiness, so that we do not sin. And the third reason is so that you may have a quality of assurance. In other words, that you can know, that you know, that you know, (laughs) that I am saved, that you know what you believe, that you know that it is all true. 1 John 5.13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is why he's writing these things, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So as we study 1 John together, as you read it for yourself, I hope that you read along with us or read ahead. or I mean, 1 John is almost small enough that you can read it every day. I mean, you, you read it every day, and, and just, just the process of doing so, it'll, you'll be hiding it in your heart or maybe just a chapter a day or something and, and rotate it as we talk about it and discuss it and, and see what the Holy Spirit wants to... Sh- To aluminum from it. Because it's just just so much in here. There's no way that we can can spend a year or two in here, but we're not going to do that. We're going to spend several months in this book. So everything is written so that you and I as a believer may be joyful. Everything is written so that you and I as a believer might be holy. And is written so that you and I as believers have assurance of our profession of faith. In Jesus Christ. Now there's a fourth reason why John wrote 1 John, and that is to correct false teachers that have left the faith, right, but are still influencing some through what they teach. In other words, there's a group, remember that that phrase that's in this Bible, those that were among us, but they weren't with us, they left because they weren't in the faith. These ones that that left, they're now teaching some false things. Right? They are denying some things about who Jesus is in the Christian faith, and we're going to look at those things. What are they teaching? They were doing what many still do today, and that is making their own path to their own God. In other words, they, they took the apostles' teachings and everything that they said, those that eyewitnessed everything, and they were like, well, we're, we're going to tweak it a little bit and change it a little bit, and we're going to make our own path. And then what en- ends up doing is then they end up worshiping their own God, which is not the God Of the Bible. And in some way, some nuance, Joe does this all the time, and every single one of us as Christians kind of do this in some form or fashion. This is why it's good to be in the words that then we get corrected and put back on the right path. And the main truth these false teachers were pushing against, among many, was the truth that the only way to know God is through Jesus Christ. This is why the songs that we sang to beginning with, the, the scripture I read out of John, it's showing us that the word became flesh. The word is Jesus. He is the only way to life. He is the only way to God. See, 1 John speaks in certainties, which these false teachers were blurring, just like our age of theological vagueness does today. Right? I'm sure everyone today has experienced this, right, where, where people are, are, are sharing what they believe and, and, and maybe even what they believe about spiritual matters or what they believe about this or what they believe about that. But as soon as you say, well, the Bible says, or say, even if you say, well, I know because I've experienced it or I've done this before, it, it's almost like it's a, it's a unilateral, it's a, it's a big pushback no matter what you're talking about, especially about spiritual things. But even if you've done something and and you've like had the hard knocks about it and you're like, please don't go down this path. You know, sometimes you get this pushback like, no, that's fine for you. But what's, you know, it's this whole idea that there's no absolute truth in the world anymore. But as Christians, we know different. Right. We have the word of God and that is our absolute truth. That is our guidance. I mean, it's almost like if you say, well, the Bible says this, they almost look at you and say, like, I'll just go back in your hole, right? What are, you, what are you doing? You're believing something that was written so long ago? Does it really matter today what it says? Can it really help us? Well, yes, absolutely it does. You're going to be amazed at how practical First John, the book of 1 John, is for our lives every single day. We know this because of... The extensive list of truths that John points out to us. These truths that are absolute. He consistently points them out. And what he's doing is he's contrasting from all of what they denied. These false teachers. Right? I, I just made a short list. I had a longer list, but I kind of cut it back as we'll get, we'll get to all of them. The first thing they denied, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. Right? And you, you probably won't be able to write all these down, but maybe just write down the, the Scripture references if you, if you want to check it out later. They denied that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. They denied that the Christ had come in the flesh. They denied authority to Jesus' commands. In other words, just Jesus said this. Well, you don't really have to listen to that. Oh, there's a word for the Christian church today, right? We, we don't really need to do this. Well, Jesus commanded it. Right? That's, that's the tension that we, we live in and we strive for. To overcome. And he's given us so much to do so. He's given us his word. He's given us the church. He's given us his spirit that dwells in us. So they denied authority to Jesus' command. They deny their own sinfulness. In other words, they, they've arrived. They no longer sin, right? Well, that's, you can find that teaching today in some churches. Some of it is you, you get a second blessing and then you're good to go. And, and some of it is, is whenever you, you've been given the Spirit, then whenever you come up, say, you're kneeling at an altar, and whenever you stand up from an altar, well, you don't sin anymore. That teaching is alive and well today. We're going to see that in the book of 1 John. They deny salvation through the work of Christ. Well, if you deny that, then you've denied the Christian faith altogether, Right? I mean, same way with many of the other things I just said. But those are some of the things, like I said, there was a, probably a, a list that was two or three times longer than that, of the things that these false teachers were denying. So that's the kind of the fourth reason why he was writing this sermon, this letter, this treatise, however we want to identify it, this book of the Bible. This is why it is been written by John. As John corrects these false teachers, what it will show us is our place in the world. See, it'll show us, okay, where are you in this world? What are some of the things that you're listening to, hearing, being drawn to, drawn away from Christ by? It'll show us our place in this world. It will help us to live as Christians in our world today. That's very practical, the book of First John, Very, very practical. And we really, until we come to grips with what 1 John 5.19 says, then, then we're not going to understand what it means to, to have our place in the world. And 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I mean, that's like a ten-part sermon right there. The whole world Lies in the power of the evil one. That's not Joe saying that. That's not some dude on TV that calls himself a prophet. This is the Word of God saying that. That if you are outside of Christ, if you are not in Christ, then the, the world around you, everything around you, is in the power of the evil one. And obviously, the evil one he's talking about is Satan. So, the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John, however you might want to say it. I've been listening to Alistair Beck a little bit, and he says 1 John all the time, and it's just one of those things, right? So he writes the book so that you and I as believers may be joyful. So that you and I as believers might be holy. So that you and I as believers have assurance of a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And so that you can know for certain what to believe in an age of theological uncertainty. Because whether well, sister, there's a, a ton of spirituality, spirituality happening out there, and, and we need to know what we believe. We need to have it firm in our hearts so that we can share it with others, and it's so that we don't get tossed to and fro, as Ephesians tells us, from every wind of doctrine. So now that we kind of have the framework of the book, right? We have the framework in place of, of what Um, John is writing and what he's trying to accomplish. Um, So let's kind of dive into the first four verses. We'll spend the rest of our time looking at these verses, which is in some ways starts off much like, (laughs) it starts off kind of like a Dr. Seuss book, doesn't it? And So let me just read the first four verses verses, and we'll, we'll dive in. What, that which was from the beginning, here's the Dr. Seuss part, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So I'm going to ask three questions of these four verses. And here are the three questions. And we'll keep the Dr. Seuss thing going. What is which? Who is we? And what does we say about which to you? Right? What is which? Who is we? And what does we say about which to you, the reader? To you sitting in the pew, to Joe as, as we were, as I studied this over the last, actually, three or four weeks. So what is which? That's our first question, Right? First John 1, 1 2, 3 has all the witches in it. That which was from the beginning, which have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life is made manifest. We have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So what is the witch? Five times in verses 1-3 we find Greek word H-O, rendered witch. In the ESV, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we looked upon, which we have seen and heard, which is a pronoun pointing us to the Father's Son. So Jesus Christ is the answer to the question, what is which? What is the which that, that he is talking about here? It's Jesus. That's why we went and that's why we read the, the first part of John, Right? We can confirm this from John's other writings in the Gospel of John, where we know the words Word and Life are used to represent Jesus, right? We, I read that this morning, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John, down to verse 4, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So this directly addresses some of what these false teachers were denying, Two big ones is that Jesus was not the Son of God and the incarnation that the Son of God actually became flesh. This is what they were denying, right? Now that we just came out of Christmas and we looked at that, even though it kind of got messed up a little bit with different services and not being able to to do all the, the sermons that we had planned. But we are looking at the incarnation. That's what we celebrate, that, that God is now with us because Jesus came in the flesh. He was born of Mary. Gary Berg writes this. The phrase, word of life, is in tune with this high Christological note, teaching that the eternal, pre-existent, fully divine Son came into the world as the de- definitive revelation of God. What he's saying is, this is that word, the word of life. It was Jesus, and he came into this world. World and he is the revelation of God. In other words, if you want to see who God is, look at Jesus because he is fully God. That's who he is. That's why we study him, that's why we follow him. Right? Jesus is fully God and fully man. Again, we just kind of went through the Christmas season just thinking about that. Many of you probably did your own devotionals, and maybe, maybe did some family devotionals, just looking at, okay, why do we celebrate this thing called Christmas? It's because God became man. He was fully God. He was fully man, and he dwelt among us. And what all those, in, in those three verses, what we, we kind of can pull out of that is Jesus is the voice, he is the image, and the embodiment of God—that's who He is. That's what the testimony is saying, right? Through Him, God is made audible, known. We can hear from Him, right? That's what—that's what—that's what John's testifying, and when he says the "we," and, and we'll get to that—who the "we" is—he's he, testifying that this Jesus allowed God to become. Audible. In Hebrews 12, I mean, 1, 2 to 3 says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us. How? By his son. That's how he's speaking to us through his son, through his word and through his spirit. He also speaks to us through creation. He'll speak to us through other believers that have been looking at his word and are possessed by his spirit in different things. So he's audible. He. Jesus has made God audible to us along with the, the Word of God, that, that we can hear from Him. Also visible. Colossians 1:15 says, "He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creations. This is who Jesus is. Do we believe that? Or has he just been relegated to a, a good teacher or maybe even a crazy person? No, He's God. He's the very image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creations. That's what we read in, in John 1. So he's, we can hear from him, he, we can see him, and we can touch him. Mark 3.10 says, For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. So we can hear him, we can see him, we can touch him. But how are we to see? How are and touch Jesus when he no longer lives on earth? John answers through the we of verses 1 through 3. So we've answered the which, and now who are the we? Our attention turns to the second question, who is the we? Who's the we that he's talking about? John uses we exclusively as in we, not you, the reader. He's not including you in this. He's saying we, a specific group of people that he had in mind, right? At this point in time, he's not including all of us in this. He had a specific group of people in mind when he wrote the we. So a lot of times we can read that and then read ourselves into that, but here specifically sometimes that's valid, but here it is not. He's specifically thinking of a specific group of people. There's something or someone from the beginning that a certain group of people have heard, seen, and touched that is now being proclaimed to others. That is Jesus. Professor Yarbrough helps us, says this, Think of it this way. Our text covers three periods. First, the timeless preexistence of Christ. Second, the era of eyewitness testimony. And third, the occasion when John wrote the letter and its intended audience received it. The we is the key to the second and third eras. So again, I'm talking about the first three verses of how he opened this book with all the witches and the we's. And, and who were, who is he talking about that they testify about so that we are the apostles the capital a apostles there are no more capital a apostles to be a capital a apostle means that you have seen him touched him and saw what he did in some sense we do see that but in a very specific sense john is saying we were actually there right we were right there beside him right They were the ones who sat and listened to the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus' mouth. They were there, right? They were the ones who saw the lame walk. They saw the blind see the the dead come alive. They were there, the Cathaway apostles. They were there to see that. And they were the ones who touched his resurrected body, Right? John 20, 27, then he said to Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? Put your fingers here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe, Thomas. So these men, that, the, the we that he's talking about in these first three verses are the apostles that, that walked with him, talked with him, touched him, saw everything he did. They're the ones who heard, saw, and touched They are the we, which brings us to our last question. What does we have to say about which to you? What does we have to say about which to you? What do the apostles have to say about Jesus to you? We have already touched on some of the answers when we looked at the purpose of the whole letter, right? The apostle, specifically John, is telling you that if you want to be in fellowship with God, you must be in fellowship with the apostles' testimony. That's what he's saying. If you want to be in fellowship with God, you must be in fellowship with the apostles' testimony. And the apostles' testimony is showing us and telling us who Jesus is. That testimony is that the Word became flesh, that Jesus is God in the flesh. First John 1, 3 says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Right? That which, that Jesus, this person Jesus, that the apostles have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 3 can be amplified to read as follows. That which we apostles have seen and heard, we apostles proclaim also to you. Those who have not seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the fathers and with the Son, Jesus Christ. This is what he's trying to say to us. That which we apostles have seen and heard, we apostles proclaim also to you. In other words, we saw him, we touched him. We heard everything that he taught. Now we're going to proclaim this to you. First to the the church here around Asia Minor, all these different churches, and then to every single Christian that's ever opened up the the book of 1 John and read it for themselves, he's now speaking to them also. About who? About Jesus, the one who came in the flesh, the one who is the Son of God. Why? So that you may have fellowship with, with us so that you may have fellowship with those apostles. That's pretty incredible the way God does things. Yes, of course, John is still alive. He's he's the oldest apostle. He might've been even the only apostle still alive at this point in time when he wrote this out of the original. But he's saying if, if, if you don't have fellowship with our testimony, then you do not have fellowship with God. In other words, if you stray from what the Word of God says about who Jesus is, you no longer have fellowship with God. In other words, you can't nuance it your own way and say, well, I don't like that, so I'm not going to believe that, and I'm going to change that. Well, when you do that, you no longer have fellowship with God. That's what he's kind of showing us. He's trying to open up this letter, because remember, he, he's, one of the purposes of him writing it is to refute the, all these people that denied all these things about Jesus in, in the Christian faith. So that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. O'Donnell, who is a commentator, he sums it up well. He says this, You are in Christ because the apostolic we... Without this apostolic we, there is no you and me. Without the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, there is no communion of the saints. There is no communion of the saints. In other words, the church doesn't exist. It's just a hodgepodge of different ideas all come together, probably... Not hung together about who Jesus is and what the gospel is, but maybe it's all hung together because there's great music or because uh, you know the, there's there's family here and, and we're all family and and for this reason or that reason. No, we must be centered on Christ Jesus and who Christ Jesus is from the Word of God. We must get that fellowship right. Therefore, we must read what the Word tells us and who He says He is. He goes on to say the good news of 1 John is that we have fellowship with God through our um, fellowship with one another. That's pretty cool. He's using that word koinonia, which is a deep fellowship. It's not, right, it's not that we, we go and, and we eat and we share laughs and this, that, and the other. That word does mean that. But koinonia is deeper. It's a fellowship where you love your brother and sister. In other words, whenever they're hurting, you're hurting. Whenever they're in need and you have it, you give to them. It's a different kind of fellowship. It's a deeper fellowship. That fellowship, when a group of people comes together and lives out that fellowship, that just screams to the world around them, there's something different about those folks. It's such a wonderful, beautiful testimony of what the gospel can do. So the good news of 1 John is that we have fellowship with God through our um, fellowship with one another, a relationship that starts by aligning ourselves with the apostolic testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. This is what John's trying to, to, to just nail down here. The first four verses, he's like, look, if you don't have Jesus right, w- w- you're off base. You're never going to, you know, you're way off base You can't decide for yourself who he is. you got to look at the word and decide and and look at those that saw him, that heard from him, that touched him, and and align your life with what they say he is and who he is. Align your thoughts and your beliefs of who he is. So what John is saying is intimacy with God is available to you, brother and sister. Intimacy, fellowship with God, it's available to you. That what it means to have fellow... So, it, we were in, in, in group uh, Saturday morning, and we, we were talking about some different things, and, and the conversation came up that it's like, okay, every single one of us, and it doesn't matter if you're here and you're a believer, and you're here and you're not a believer, if you've walked with them for a year or ten years, or you've never heard Jesus before in your life. Every single one of us, every single day, as soon as you wake up to as soon as you go home to go to bed you are talking to somebody right so we're kind of fleshing this out it's like who exactly are you talking to who are you communing with each and every day and and the bible would say well there's only four things that you could be communing with right it's the world it's the devil it's the flesh or it's god that's that's it there's the four things that's the four things that you can, that's who's talking with you each and every day. You're either, either your thoughts are, are lined up with the world or the devil, the world and devil, I guess maybe could be the, considered the same thing or with God or with whatever your flesh wants, whatever your self wants. That's, that's, that's the only thing that can happen. And, and we were, and, and it just, as we were talking about this, I knew this was in, in the, the sermon in. in and I posed the question, I'm like, I mean, do, do people, like, I talk to God all day long. I, I, some of you, maybe you do that. Some of you might be like, Joe, you're nuts. Maybe we need to get you some help or something. No, I talk to him all day long through his word, through his people. I ask for help. I pray promises. I, I, I'm sure many of you do that. I, I'm sure. M- maybe if you're here and you're like, oh, I've never done that before. Try it tomorrow. Try it the rest of the day. Watch what happens. Do you commune with him? Is he a real enough person that you actually talk to him? That you spend time with him? That you, that, that, that you care enough to even share your deepest longings, what you're struggling with, with him? Look at everything he's done. To save your soul? Or is it just like, oh, you saved me. Now I'll go do whatever I want. and I'll, I'll, That's in the bank. I have my insur- assurance and, and away I go. Man, there's so much more to the Christian life. There is so much more. It's just, he's done this to have fellowship. So he wants to fellowship with you. He sent his son to, to become this miserable flesh that he had to fight from beginning to end to, to make sure that he's a perfect sacrifice just so that that you can, you can spend time with him. That just blows my mind. And it's amazing that, that what he designed is the fact, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get all these people that the Spirit's the Spirit's going to change their heart and, 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 and then they're, they're not going to seek after the things of the world. They're going to look into my word and they're going to seek after me. I want to bring them all together. That way they can help one another and love one another. That's just so cool. That's the church. That's what we're here to be doing. To have fellowship with one another and as we fellowship with one another, we are seeing Jesus on display, right? We are seeing the many facets of God. Every Sunday morning, you know, we are so blessed to have so many different musicians that play so many different instruments. This is God on display showing you, look at all the different talents I have. And this is just one area, music. I mean, I saw many talents when I was reading all the different answers to that simple poll question. I'm like, well, that person can really, write. I have an idea who that might be. You know know what I mean? It's just amazing. All of this shows us who this wonderful God is. And he wants to spend time with you. And some of you won't even give him the time to do so. I I, I weep for you. He's, He's awesome. He wants to be in fellowship with you. He wants to be be an intimate relationship with you. That's what it means to fellowship with someone. Intimacy is what we call the experience of really knowing and being known by another person. Someone we are close to, they know us at a deep level. What John is saying is one of the ways that you get to know God intimately is by having fellowship with one another that is rooted in their testimony of Jesus. So, the way they have experienced Jesus, the way they have been taught and have processed who Jesus is. As you are with them, as they are staying on a straight path of who Jesus is according to the apostles, you get to see the fellowship in who He is. Then we get to taste. Then we get to touch Him. Then we get to hear from Him. I go back to that verse all the time, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is so good. He is so good. That is where things get messy, doesn't it? Isn't that where some of us are like, oh, I might be out on that one. You want me to get close to that person? They're a train wreck. Not that I'm any better, but that's a train wreck, and I can see that train wreck. Right? Yeah, messy. We're messy people living messy lives and coming together because of Jesus to help one another, to lessen the mess a little bit, right? A church should look more like a daycare center than a high and tidy, all upper, oh, no, we're not that. Man, we're not that. We're not that. I, I don't see that in Scripture. In fact, those that lived like that, the Pharisees and I think Jesus had some strong words for those folks, right? We're a mess, and that's where it gets messy, when you have to enter into people's messy lives. Can't I just can't I, Joe, just read the Bible and attend church on Sunday and do my thing the rest of my life? Well, no. First John says, No, you can't. You need to be in fellowship. You need to be in fellowship with what the apostles say, who Jesus is, and Jesus says, You must be in fellowship with one another. We know from experience that intimacy is really about one thing, is it not? Right? I, I know this is 100%, 100%, like the, the top thing on my list for allowing people into my life, and that is, can I trust you? Can I trust you? If I can trust you, man, I, I will walk through hell with you. Do you understand that? I will. I, I'm, I, I know that I, I'm a, a serious person. I get that. But I'm serious about seeing you guys mature in your faith. I'm seeing you I'm serious about seeing you reach the end and the goal and, and be with us in glory and we can all get rid of the messiness and, and rejoice with him. And, and I'll do anything for you and I'll walk through if I can trust you. Just that's just something I'm working on. Because, you know what, there's going to be people that I have to love that way and and walk with that way that I really don't trust, but because God has called us to, called me to. But isn't that the difference of why you're intimate with someone and fellowship with someone? It's trust. That's the number one thing, is it not? I mean, those of you that are married, you know your spouse is who you trust the most. It's who you're the most intimate with. They see all the bad stuff. That's why at year two in, in most marriages, it's a disaster because both every, you know the male and the female come together and, and they have these false images of who they really are. And then they go live with each other for two years and they figure out who they really are. That's fine. God designed it that way. It's for sanctification. We repent. We turn to him. He glorifies himself in all of it. And we grow. It's a wonderful, beautiful system that God designed. So, no, we can't just read our Bible and do it on our own. We have to do it with one another. We know from the experience that intimacy is really, again, about trust. Trust is the heart of intimacy. This is a true in our relationship with God as it is in our relationship with other human beings. Scripture shows us that God is, is intimate with those who trust Him, right? Think about the Spirit. The Spirit dwells in all believers. But there's these verses in the Bible that talk about we can quench the Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit, right? This is Him just saying, okay, we do so by our sin, what we desire, how we are living our lives, what we we are chasing after, different things like that. There's lists after each of those phrases in the Bible that show us, okay, if we're doing this, we're grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. But He wants to be intimate with us. This is why He sent His Son. So how do we draw near to God? God. How do we do that? How do we draw near to him? Maybe you're sitting here like, well, man, this is the first I've heard that. Or maybe I heard that and just blew it off. And maybe you're blowing it off now doing other things and and thinking of other things. And and, and that's fine. But how do we draw near to God? The Bible tells us we draw near to God through faith in Christ who alone gives us access to him. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. So we draw near to God through faith in Christ and we put our trust in all of his precious and very great promises, which find their yes in Christ. So we put our faith in him, we trust him that way, and then we trusting all his promises. Second Corinthians one twenty says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And God wants intimacy with each one of his children. Christ has done all the hard work on the cross to make this possible. He has bridged the gap. He has brought you into relationship with God if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he went to the cross for your sins and repent and turn. The first answer to the question, what does we have to say about which to you? Whoever wants to have fellowship with God must first be joined to the apostolic testimony concerning God's incarnate Jesus is the Son of God. That's the first answer. The second answer to the question is this. We find it in verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John has the heart of the pastor of a pastor, which cannot be completely happy so long as some of those for whom he feels responsible are not experiencing the full blessing of the gospel. So his heart cries out, "He wants all of us to have joy, to have happiness. That's his desire. Right? That's what he's saying. This joy comes within fellowship, fellowship with God, and fellowship with all those who believe the apostles' message. Today, when someone becomes a Christian, he or she enters into this one ageless, universal fellowship. Yes, we are all Christians all around the world. We are in one fellowship, a fellowship springing from the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Cursed through the apostles. In other words, that the message was passed through the apostles. He chose them to see certain things, to hear certain things, so they may pass it on. And flowing through every genuine believer who has ever been or will ever be, it's your message to go and tell. It's not this is what you know I've made up. It's I'm standing on the testimony of these apostles. And I'm standing on Jesus and all that he did. Brothers and sisters, let us not grow weary of holding on to the apostles and holding out to the world the joyful good news of the gospel. Let us not grow weary. This is what John is calling us to do. Have fellowship with God so that your joy may be complete. Have fellowship with one another so your joy may be complete. And then he's going to add on, so that you do not sin. So that, right, you have assurance. So that you have confidence in what you believe in an age of just all kinds of different theologies. This is what John is calling us to do. This is what we're going to do over the the coming months as we walk through this book. Just where are you today? Do you have fellowship with God? Do you fellowship with Him on a regular basis? I mean, I pray that you do. I pray that you do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for what John's message is, Father. Lord, I just ask if there's anybody here that. Does not know you. We're, we're going to see in, in this book, he's going to challenge us. He's going to make us look in the mirror and see, are we really Christians? Are we really believers? Have we really been poor in spirit? Been broken? And Lord, we know that that happens through your word and it happens through your spirit. And Lord, I'll pray for anybody that that might be hearing this over the internet or might be here today who's like, I I don't know or, or, man, this is different today. That's the Spirit working on you. Lord, I pray that they would turn from whatever they might be trusting in, probably themselves, and trust in you. Trust in you fully. And Father, for those that have been walking with you, those who are in Christ. Lord, you want their joy to be complete through fellowship with God, through the apostles' testimony of who Jesus is. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to fellowship with one another. Lord, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.